I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 234. 234! Oh. Why aren't we clever? <laughs> well, we were just at dinner and Colby was like, oh, we're watching. And he said, Devil in Ohio. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've watched that. And Carrie was like, of course you have. And I was like, well, it's been out a week. A week! <laughs> a fucking week! Yes. It's four episodes. I don't yeah. know how many episodes it is. It's, that's what people do, Carrie, when they like TV. I do like TV. No, you like old stuff that you can watch and fall asleep to. I really don't, except for when I'm going to bed. Okay, you will watch Roseanne, Golden Girls, Design and Women, Sex in the City, like everything that has been on and off the air for years. I don't hear any show that didn't sound amazing. <laughs> But I'm saying, so you would rather watch that kind of stuff than any new stuff. And you're so behind on Housewives that you would rather watch that than any new stuff. You're not wrong. Mm-hmm. You're not wrong. Oh, did you see Teresa... Uh, Judice got married. Is that what you're about to say? No. Oh. She's going to be on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, well, she's probably got to make that money now because uh, her new hubby lost his job because of all the bad press he was getting. She cannot pick him. Because, like, when he got with her, all of his exes, like, started coming out and being like, no, he had really bad relationships. Like, one said he was physically abusive. This is all allegedly, but, like, one said he was physically abusive. Um, Like, another one, or another time, like, there was police called for, like, a domestic violence thing. But he was like, you know how it is when you, like, you're both, like, you know, you're both toxic and you're both, like, really heated and you're in an argument and police get called? No. Mm -mm. No, I don't. Mm -mm. That's never happened. And if that's happened in multiple relationships... Right. And then this video Mm. came out. And see, Teresa's like a don't talk about it, it didn't happen kind of gal. Uh And like everybody else is telling her like, no, you need to get out in front of this. Like tell, let him talk. And she's like, no, he doesn't know anyone anything. (laughs) And everybody's like, no, let him talk. And he's like, no, I want to talk. But she doesn't want me to say anything. But apparently he was like at this men's retreat and he tells more about it, blah, blah, blah. But basically, he's at this men's retreat, and they're all, like, on the beach. And everybody's like, they're all on the beach naked. They were just shirtless. They're on the beach. Like, quit trying to make it oh more than it God. is. And even if they were all naked and banging, who gives a fuck? Yeah. So, but anyway, it's this video where he's, like, pleading for this girl to take him back and, like, proposing to her. And then when he tells a story, he says, yeah, I had this buddy who, like, either owned the retreat or went to the retreat. And, uh... You know, all those guys were, like, married and, like, making amends. And even though, like, I was leaving her, like, I had to, like, basically make it sound like I, like, wanted her back. And I, it, it's just sketch. But he got a past. And Teresa doesn't want him to talk about it. But anyway, because all that came out, he got let go from his job. Shit. All I know is, what it, What was she trying to make her last name? Judice. Yeah. Um, but then when she flipped over that table. Which time? Well, true. <laughs> Prostitution whore? That's what she said. <laughs> we don't say prostitution, but that's what she said. So I was quite yeah. there. Oh, God. Okay. Engage 17 times? <laughs> or how? 7? 17? I can't remember. <laughs> well, that's a big difference. No, but Carrie, I'm so sorry for all the Real Housewives talk, but uh, Carrie showed me a TikTok and it was Teresa's daughter's. And that fucking flabbergasted me that they have aged. <laughs> like, when I watched that show with her, they were small. Like, I they know. were young. 
like, what? Yeah, I have no family that I can look at and be like, oh, God, they're so grown. <laughs> it's, all, <laughs> it's all reality stars. Also, back to Devil in Ohio. I liked it, but it was very predictable to me. But it was a good watch. I wouldn't say 5 out of 5, 10 out of 10. It'd be like 6 out of 10 for me. Well, we're only two episodes in. So, but I mean, I love the guy that plays her husband. Me too. Um, so me and my mom watched Brothers and Sisters, but we called it Bros and Hoes all the time. And so I was telling Tiffany who was in there and I was like, it's a guy that was married to the girl from Swim Fan, but he was on Bros and Hoes. Like that's where they were. And I was like, God bless. And she said, <laughs> yeah, I know who you're talking Like, And she said the girl's name, I can't remember, Erica Christensen or something. And I was like, but they were married on Parenthood. Yeah. Oh, not brothers and sisters. It wasn't brothers and sisters. It was, parenthood. it was Parenthood. Well, I was all fucked up, but she got it. And I was like, he's always a contractor mm-hmm. or construction or something. And whew, that is so sexy on him. But his name was Joel in Parenthood. Yes. Because I fucking loved him. Yes. And Until he, they like made him have that affair. And I was yeah, like, that's not that's his not character. His character. <laughs> no, I was like, he would not do that. <laughs> he wouldn't though. He really wouldn't. Yeah. They jumped the shark on that. <laughs> but he has aged very well, too. Like, woo, okay. Now, I couldn't tell you his character's name on this show, but I remember I Joel. could not tell you one character's name on that show. Shit, me either. May. No, May yeah, May, but uh, the middle Savannah, girl. Suzanne. Suzanne is the mom's name. Yeah, but what's the middle girl? She's like a main character. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, y'all are like, I don't give a fuck. Well, what we do give a fuck about, though, is Patreoners. Thank you so much, Emma B. from California. Stephanie H. from Tennessee. Alicia G. from South Dakota. Or is it Alisa? We're not sure. Sorry. And Alicia P. from Texas. Okay, maybe you did get your Texas back. Mm-hmm. Samantha C. from Texas. Oh, shit. And Maggie G. from Australia. I only know that because that was your, like, what is, I almost said Dominican. No, your dom- domination? No. What is it? Like, your, we are USD? Your, de, um. Demonotion? <laughs> Demolition? De- de- denomination? Deno- yeah, denomination. No, that's it. That's your church, right? Well, that, yes, but. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. You, you were AU, Guy any gold. So, <laughs> no, you were AU. So I was like, oh, Australia. I'll just say that. But we need your address if you want a thank you card and some stickers. So, anyway, lots of D's. You know, I'm all about the D's. It is denomination. Oh, okay. Well, you don't have to yell at me, ma'am. You can tell me about your Lord and Savior. Yeah. But yeah, Maggie G, hit us up. Also, if you want an episode, shout out, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. But speaking of donations, y'all, the queen died today. Oh, I so, know. So like the money, all that about to change. That's what made me think of it. But the queen died today. I know. Ashlyn messaged me and she said that Trisha Paytas had her baby today. She's a YouTube star. But they, she said that they were like, Oh my God. Cause I even said on the day the queen died, like just, whoa. And they, she said that people were like, what if her baby is the queen reincarnate? Oh geez. I was like, Oh God, that, that is something that's going to take off. Cause that's know? literally the only baby born today. <laughs> like the fuck? <laughs> you think she traveled across the pond? <laughs> she likes her tea. <laughs> If they don't live in Boston, she ain't coming over here. <laughs> thank you for thinking my dumbass jokes are funny. Yeah. Nobody else does, but thank you. 
You're welcome. <laughs> Y'all, I'm like really heartbroken about the queen dying. Yeah, because that is one show that you did binge. But that was pre-Colby. Because <laughs> now all we watch is fucking golf. <laughs> and I play Candy Crush. <laughs> it is sad, though. Just because, I mean, she's seen so much. She's so important. She's, I don't know. It's just like, I don't have that that connection. Because I did not watch The Queen or... The Crown. The Crown. But, I've, but you, girl, you know, I've always know been obsessed you, with the Royals. Have. I can't imagine being part of the UK and the Queen dying. Like, what's it like for y'all right now? I know. Oh, gosh. And and that's the thing, too, is that, like, damn near everyone living right now in the UK only knows her as the queen. Oh, that's true. Like, 70 years. Shit. Like, there are, there's probably, like, a tenth of the population that knows something other than her. Right. And uh, if you live over there, tell me how y'all feel about Charles taking over. Because I'm not feeling super great about it, allegedly. <laughs> Don't kill me m16 or what are they called mx6 m6 <laughs> you know i get my ones and my eyes confused man that is hard when it's like that font and so you're like you know what is a, that a capital i lowercase l i don't know you know what's a really hard last name to see hard yeah mcelwain mackle mcelwain well Mackle. hard too no like when you're looking at I'm not going to say this is a bad name because it's not a bad name, but Ileana is hard when you don't know if the L's That's and what the I'm I's. saying. Okay. Look at McElwain caps. M-C-I-L. Yeah. That's like, I remember one time whenever I was, God, y'all are like, this is the longest fucking intern known to man. But one time when I was in college and I was working as a transporter at our local hospital. And at this point I had the job where I had to be like, okay, you go to this room to take this patient to this place. And I was looking at the computer and I was like, what the fuck is that last name? Because <laughs> it was like that. I was like, M-C-I-L-L. And I was like, 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 what? What is that? And then whoever I was telling to like, go get this person, they were like, you mean, like I was a total dumbass. And I was like, yeah, that. <laughs> that is a weird, I'm doing like. It's not, it's just like hard to see the I's and the L's. Yeah. It's like they literally, a capital I and the, all those lowercase L's look exactly the yeah. same. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It's not a weird name. It's just, it's weird to see it because the I's look like L's yes. in the middle of the word. So. When you have like capital, lower, capital, lower, 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 lower. It's like, yeah. is that another lowercase L or are we capitalizing the I there? Yeah, who knows? All right. Well, we have one more thing to say to you. What is that? That's from something. Well, I have one more thing to say to you. No, I know what it is. It's Tyra when she goes off on that person. We were rooting for you. We yeah. were all rooting for you. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Whew. Her name was Tiffany that she went off on. I love that season. Okay. But what I love more, we've talked about this podcast before, The Murder Diaries. They met on Bumble BFF, Natalie and Paige. They are the host of the Murder Diaries. And remember, we talked about it. Like, we were like, where was Bumble BFF when we, like, when you lived in Texas? Right. I mean, like, I had Tiffany as a BFF, but me and Tiffany needed a third. We do better in thirds, you know? Well, luckily, they both swiped right and instantly bonded over tacos and true crime. Uh, You know what? I love tacos. I love true crime. I much rather crush my tacos up and eat it with a fork 
Mm-hmm. But thank God they love tacos and true crime. And the Murder Diaries podcast was born. So unlike us, where we cover two different topics, each week they tell one true crime story at a time. But what's so great about the Murder Diaries is it gives voices to the voiceless. They're humanizing and they share the stories of true crime victims. And they spread awareness about unresolved cases. Well, that's all good and stuff, but their listeners love them. So much so, listen to what they got to say. They say, as a family member of someone that has been murdered and the case has gone cold, I appreciate podcasts like this that gets the victim stories out there to make people more aware of the cases that they may not have known about. They do it in such a respectful way, and I've really enjoyed listening. Another review said, I could listen to Paige and Natalie all day. The way they tell a story makes me feel like I'm literally talking to them, and they're pulling the words right out of my head. I recommend them to all my friends interested in true crime. They release new episodes every Thursday and are available on all podcast platforms. So be sure to search for and subscribe to The Murder Diaries on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. You can also find them on TikTok and Instagram at The Murder Diaries Pod. So seriously, y'all might find your new Bumble BFFs with Natalie and Paige. So tune in, listen, and eat a taco while you do. All right. Now we're getting into the nitty gritty. It's about damn time. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I have to tell you something. Oh Jesus. Sorry guys. <laughs> that one was all my fault. I take full blame. No, it wasn't you. It was me. Because I said the nitty gritty and I was going to say, and something about my titty. Like, oh, you know, but I got to tell you. So, you know, I go to McDonald's all the time. But the other. Oh, we know we've gotten a review. <laughs> Can we talk about, we're fatties and talk about McDonald's. We know. (laughs) Hey, it's on brand. So, okay, but I go to McDonald's all the time and the people there know me. Well, I haven't been going to breakfast like hardly ever, but the other day I went and the girl who checked me out, she's great, like A1, but I said, hey, how are you? And she said, my titty hurts. (laughs) laughed so hard she said i'm still breastfeeding and like she was supposed to be she's normally off so maybe it wasn't breakfast it was lunch but she's normally off at like 11 but it was one and she still wasn't off and she's like my titty is hurting now you know and she was like so yeah i was like oh my god but i was like i died and I did not mean to but I was like laughing hard just because she kind of hung out the window a little bit too when she said it so she was just like my titty hurts I was like oh my god I love you (laughs) you know you get really close to (laughs) like literally everyone (laughs) like I can without a doubt say that no one at a restaurant has ever any 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 <laughs> establishment has told me that their T word hurts. Their T word. <laughs> I hate that word. I know you do. Oh God. And the fact that she did say titty, not my boo. <laughs> like, it just cracked me up. Anyway, whew. Okay. For real, now we're getting into the nitty-gritty no titty. All right, we are going to Seattle, Washington, and we're going to be talking about a historic haunted building there it's called the butterworth building but before we get into that we got to talk about the man behind the building his name is edgar ray butterworth but he's always referenced as er so that's what i'm gonna call him 
He was born in Newton Upper Falls, Massachusetts in 1847. So, you know, way back in the day. His family moved around for his father's occupation, but when they were back in Mass, ER became the breadwinner for his family by being a hatter. And this is when he was 16. He also began to study law, and by the age of 21, he was admitted to the bar. He married his first wife, Grace M. Whipple, but sadly, their marriage only lasted two years because she died after giving birth to their son, Gilbert. ER moved to St. Louis, and that was in 1873, and he took back up his job as being a hatter. Within the same year, he got married to his second wife, Maria L. Gillespie. A few years later, they moved to Fort Scott, Kansas, and ER actually changed his profession again, and this time, no one saw it coming, because he became a cattleman, and on top of that, for extra money, he would make a 125-mile long trip to the nearest railroad, where he would sell the bones of dead bison, and at that time, he would make $10 per ton. What the hell would they do with the bones? I don't know. And that doesn't seem like a lot of money for... That's a lot of bones. That's a lot of bones. That's a lot of fucking dead bison bones. But soon, ER would just kind of happen into a new career. He was on his bison trip, and he came across this settler who was by a dugout home. And I know you don't watch the show, Carrie, but on Alone, they call them Earth Lodges. And it's where you make a shelter by digging into the earth or kind of having your house lower in the ground or kind of recessed into the earth. And so it's like a side of a mountain or a hill that's kind of like carved out. They would be like, okay, right here and then build around it. So one side is the hill. So again, it's just basically using the earth around you as walls and stuff. And that's like very limited knowledge on my part but I know that's what they do on the show alone and also when people do do that the heat stays a lot longer so just so you know if you're ever by yourself doing earth lunch anyway so ER came up on this man who was by his home but he was super downtrodden and when ER questioned him, he said that he had just lost his wife and newborn child. And where they were was in the grasslands of Kansas. There's no lumber there. So he couldn't give his family a proper burial. And so he was really saddened by this. He's like, I can't just dig a hole and dump them in it. Like, I need to have a coffin for them, but I can't get any lumber to do this. Well, ER was like, you know what? Got you. Used some of the wood from his own wagon box and built a coffin. Because he was handy with tools, always had a knack for building furniture. So he was like, all right, think of it as like a cabinet. I'm not sure this is what he said to himself, but I'm just saying, like, think of it like a cabinet, extra long cabinet, but it's for a dead body. Like, you're going to open a lid, close a lid, dead body's going to go in there. Anyway, so he goes on about his life, actually does some other business ventures, gets into, like, politics and stuff. But when diphtheria epidemic hit, ER was asked to make coffins. And that's when he kind of became synonymous with the undertaking business. Because he did have a furniture business, and so people were like, oh, well, he could probably fashion coffins. 
And that's why he started making and selling coffins. And this was like a new business endeavor. So in 1892, he was doing pretty well for himself. And so the family moved to Seattle, Washington. He and five of his sons went into business named E.R. Butterworth and Sons. And after moving around a bit with buildings, in 1903, E.R. had a custom building built for their mortuary business. It's located at 1921 First Avenue, and it's also like in the Park Place Market Historic District for people who are around Seattle. This building was the first custom building for a mortuary business. And it's like what we think of today, like they get the bodies, sell the coffins, fix the bodies up, hold the wake, hold the funeral, like all of it is right there. But it used to not be that way. So like seriously, they were like before their time kind of thing. Well, also, it was designed to fit on a hill. So the building side is First Avenue. Sorry. So the building side on First Avenue has three stories, but the side on Post Alley has five stories. And it reminds me, there's two houses that I always loved as a kid when Carrie didn't know that I rode the bus, but I rode the bus. <laughs> um, but <laughs> when we would pass them, I'm like, oh my God. God, I want to live in this house, but it's over there. And so like, it looks like a one level house, but when you go like on the side, it has like a carport underneath and stuff. But I remember being like, that's so fucking cool as a kid and just thinking about like what the inside looks like and all the things. So I don't know when I saw this, I was like, it's like those houses. Okay, well, Seattle ended up being a great place for a mortician to be because there was a mine that a lot of people worked in. And there were a lot of accidents in the mine, and they resulted in death. Then crime on top of poor sanitation around the city, also big contributors to the death toll. Also, not just the diphtheria happened, but tuberculosis and the Spanish flu hit while E.R. Butterworth was in business. So he he was like, smorgasbord, smorgasbord. Shit got so bad that bodies were just laying on the streets. Like they could not house their dead at all. So they started paying undertakers 50 bucks to remove them and like properly dispose of the body. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, I'm yeah. sure that's what they paid them for, but I'm sure they didn't right. properly dispose of nothing. Well, they're saying that it was kind of like an undertaker's race, like, because they wanted that $50. So it was like, cue my mom having the police scanner. Right. And being like, we got a dead one on 8th Avenue. Let's go. And like doing yeah. that. So yeah, it, again, that's allegedly, but you know, that was happening. But again, like no one had seen a mortuary or anything like what E.R. Butterworth offered. And it's no surprise that the family was very she-she. They were among the who's who of Seattle society. Oh my God, I interrupt this to talk about one more thing about TV. Oh my God, these people listen are like, can y'all get to the goddamn point today? I know, I'm so sorry. But on My Big Fat Fabulous Life, I don't watch that as much as I used to, but there was a drag queen that is a coworker of her friend Ashley, and she's pregnant again, like Ashley is. And so uh, the drag queen and Whitney kind of came up with the baby shower, 
but I cannot think of the drag queen's name, but she was like, I'll perform like something. And that's when we'll do the gender reveal. And maybe it was just like a gender reveal party. I don't know. I can't remember. But the song she sang said, he, he, she, she. (laughs) (laughs) And all I could think about was she, she like, but yeah, they meant it a different way. But anyway, I don't know. But I was like cracked up at it. So back to the Butterworth. ER had a very good mind for business. And we all know that death is going to happen. So he thought might as well make money from it. Because I mean, hello. But now even though he was thinking about it as a business, they really cared about their approach and techniques. And again, they were kind of revolutionary with their techniques and stuff. Like they were the first people to, I think maybe on the West Coast, but to embalm their their clients and stuff. And so people were like, holy shit, this uncle of mine looks like he just died. Right. You know, because they were not used to it. Like we still do some of the same shit they did. Like, again, they were cutting edge. They're even credited to coining the terms mortuary and mortician. Really? Yeah. Oh, and the building had an elevator too. And it was like, very unheard of at this time. I think it was the first elevator on the West Coast. Jeez. But of course they needed it because it had like, you know, five stories. And so to transport the body to each floor. But like I mentioned, it was a business and ER was like, hey, instead of sending people out for things they need, let me sell it in house. We'll keep more of the profit. And so he did. You know, why say, oh, go get flowers from this florist while he could offer it in a package and make an extra margin on it. And I mean, hello, we all have had that at some point where we've had to help with like a loved one's death or whatever, like our parents helping them decide what to get, you know, and it's like, oh, for this deluxe package, they could get a silk lined coffin and mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. You know, they get two. I can't think of what the flowers, the spread or mm-hmm. Like, on top of the casket, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so they offered stuff like that. So the sons took over when ER died, and they kept the business in the family for a long time. Like, longer than most family-run businesses by a long shot at that time. Now, the Butterworth building has changed. It's had several different businesses. And a lot of the times, it's like what you see in cities where there's a different business on every floor. Yeah. Well, there's a restaurant called Kell's Irish Restaurant and Pub, and it opened in 1983. It's still there today. The owners are a brother-sister duo, Patrick and Karen. It's located in what was the basement of the building that was used to house the funeral wagons and like it was the stables at one point. And then they ended up buying like I think another floor as well. But they've done their fair share of renos while they've been there because they've been there for now decades. But each time it seems to stir up something about the old customers. So uh, let's get into some of the hauntings of the building. During one renovation, the ghost actually cost them their construction permit because people reported construction going on at like 4 a.m. And the owners were like, I promise it's not. It's the ghost. And the city was like, yeah, right. And took their permit away for a year. Jeez. Also, during another renovation, a worker took a picture of the progress to be like, 
okay, so this is what we did today, you know, probably to get another fucking draw or something, you know, I don't know. But in the picture was a like pale faced man with like sunken in eyes. They said like black eyes, but I think it's more like sunken in eyes and like maybe not having eyes, not just like black eyed kids. Yeah. And it looked like a stitched mouth or something. Oh shit. Yeah. They also have typical haunting stuff, you know, disembodied voices, unexplained noises, like loud bangs when no one's nearby, things falling off the shelves that shouldn't be able to be pushed off by air. You know the deal. One of the most witnessed ghosts though is an eight-year-old girl with red hair. She typically shows up when traditional Irish music's playing, and she's also very playful and loves to prank, quote-unquote, the adults by tugging on their shirts or their dresses. And during the day, kids are allowed at the restaurant. And that's another time that she's been spotted often, and she'll be found on, like, the stairs. Like, kids will be drawn over there, you know, and they, because, again, kids can allegedly see spirits, which I believe. From what witnesses have said, they believe she was a victim of the 1918 flu outbreak. Another active ghost is called Charlie. He manifests himself in this Guinness mirror. And he basically will show up in the mirror, but quickly disappear when you kind of do like a double take. And the most active times for him is when there's live music going. And you can always tell it's Charlie because he's wearing a derby hat and he really seems like happy. And people have said like they see him smile and stuff like that. And honestly, both of the regular spirits seem to be happy, give off good vibes. It's nothing nefarious. Oh, good word. Thank you. Now, a shaman who came in said there were 19 fully formed ghosts who haunt that building, which might have some weight to it because Karen said, and remember Karen is one of the co-owners, she said that on All Saints Day 2005, she saw a tall man who was wearing like a suit jacket and stuff, and he had very thin hands, like too thin of hands, he walked to the end of the bar and just kind of vanished in front of her. And she was like, that's not a normal, like, not one of our normal ghosts. Also, another time, one of the owners walked in, saw a mirror had broken, but instead of, like, shards all over the floor, we all know how if any glass breaks, it shatters into a million pieces all over your floor. Well, it was in, like, just one neat little pile on the floor. But, like, no one was there to have cleaned it up that way. Bartenders said that they've seen glasses move across the bar on their own and, like, slide off with force. Because, again, we all know, like, condensation. Did I say that right again? Mm -hmm. Okay. You know I have a like, me. But it'll make the glasses move. But this was, like, not just, like, oh, and it's going, it was like, vroom. You know, one day Colby and I were at a restaurant and my glass slid from that condensation. And he had never seen that before. Really? Yes. I was so, I was like, you've never seen it? And he was like, no. <laughs> there have been times that the silverware seemed to levitate. And also people hear a woman's voice and they also hear her cry, but no one's around. There's some candles that are all around the whiskey bar in the corner of the building. And they're said to like randomly light themselves and unlike themselves, I don't know, <laughs> like go off. One of the cooks was real skeptical 
you know, like, sure, sure, sure. Like, I don't believe that mumbo jumbo. But one day he found himself armed with a knife coming out of the kitchen. Like, I'm not going in there. Someone else is in there. And like, seriously, he was like, one minute I saw someone and then the next I couldn't see where they went. And it freaked me out. I'm like arming myself and going out of the kitchen. So then he was like, yeah. So all that stuff I made fun of y'all about, I'm a believer now. But with that said, most of the building does have like nothing but good vibes. Like it has a feeling that you're not alone, but there's nothing sinister about it. But there was this one time that the owner's mom, she fell down the stairs, but she wasn't hurt, like seriously bad or anything, thankfully. But she told people, I didn't just fall. I felt like I was pushed and there was no one around when it happened. So that's the only time like they really felt like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah, kind of uneasy about it. It's all fun and games until somebody gets pushed. Right. There have been some muddy handprints that show up on freshly cleaned windows. Like, they're there in a blink of a second. No one's around. So, it's just kind of like, uh, how did this happen? And you know what it reminded me of? If you guess this, I'm going to be like, God, you know me so well. Okay. Well, first of all, my first thought was, fuck you for dirtying up something I just did. And I was like, like they came back from the dead? Like, from the ground? They came out of the ground? And I was like... I can't bring people back from the dead. I don't like doing it. And then I thought, for some reason, on the movie Son-in-Law, when he has to wrestle the uh, big girl and she's <laughs> yeah. in the rabbit costume, yeah. and then her little bunny tail gets muddy, and it it, it sends my sister, sensory system into overload. Okay, so that's my train of thought. Okay, well, you were kind of on the right page with a Disney movie, but no. I was thinking about that damn Lucifer, the cat, when he dirties up the floors while Cinderella's cleaning oh, them, yeah. and he just like does his little fucking paws like that. I love Lucifer, but I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> but just because he's like deek, 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 deek. Oh. Mm-hmm, that little dickhead. I feel like that was one of those moments where I should have probably kept all my thoughts to my brain, but I do that <laughs> to Colby where he's like, what are you like, what are you thinking right now? Like, I can tell you're thinking about something. And I'll, I'll just be like, be, de, 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 like name off like yeah. six things. And he's like, whoa. I know. I don't know why people don't do that, though. Because I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, one thought leads into another. And that's why I can't finish a sentence sometimes. Because I'll think of something when I'm saying that. And then I'm like, oh, don't forget that. Don't forget that. Wait, what was I saying? You know? Like, mm-hmm. but yeah. Because also, all of that reminds you of something. And so your brain just kind of goes into that. When I ask someone, like, what are you thinking about? And they're like, nothing. And I'm like, so seriously, like, I'm not asking, like, are you thinking about me? Like, no, you're, what are you thinking about? I want to know what you're thinking about because, like, my brain doesn't work like yours, you know? And they're like, seriously, nothing. What are you thinking about? And your example, it's like, okay, well, when I looked over here, I was thinking about this and then, that made me look around to make sure this, you know, and all the things like I'm constantly thinking there's never a time I'm not thinking. I know I've said this before, but I can literally remember being a kid and laying in bed and being like, don't think, don't think, don't think, don't think, don't think. Oh, you're thinking that you're th- to not think. Okay. Okay. <laughs> don't think about anything. Ready? Go. Am I thinking about something? Yes. Ugh. I would do that. Like, because I've read a meme and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. But it's like sleep is the only thing you pretend to do to try to sleep. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, it really is. Because, I mean, you don't like 
I'm going to pretend to cook and then then I'll start cooking. Right. Like, no. But I will do that. I'm like, clear your mind. Just try to sleep. Close your eyes and you're going to fall asleep. And it's like, no, my mind is literally going 90 to nothing on affirmations trying to get me to go to sleep. No. Like, that's why I have to watch TV to just let my body, like, slowly go to sleep. I will say, though, that um, one time... I think I've told y'all this before, but one time I did read this thing or whatever. And it was like, if you're having a hard time going to sleep, tell yourself not to go to sleep and you'll like fall asleep. Like be like, like I literally, I'll lay there and I'll go, don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. <laughs> that, I, I think you have said that before. Cause I've tried that. So I know it was like, I've never heard that on anything else. So I know it was you telling me that, but that did not work for me. I'm so easy though. I was going to say, yeah. Sleep is not hard for you to come by. Mm-mm. Well, you don't get as much sleep as you would want to do, but like you can go to sleep. Okay, so when I was researching this, I saw a YouTube video from Joe Nathan's Nation. And one of the workers and Karen, the co-owner, they were talking to him and they said that the banquet room is one of the most active locations. The worker said that there used to be a swinging door And that was like going into the kitchen. We've all seen those at restaurants where like they don't have to use their hands. They can just swing it out. Well, she would see them open like someone was peeping out from behind it, but no one was there. And she said that would happen several times. Ghost Adventures, of course, has been to Kel's Irish Pub. And I think it was the last episode of season four, if I am recalling that correctly, So they kept going on and on about how the mortuary was very corrupt and stuff. And I looked, but I couldn't find any proof of this. But there were rumors that ER, he would take a $50 cut of each body that came through the doors. And again, like I said about the whole, the mortician race, all of that, like that was kind of rumors and stuff. So I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know. But no one's ever proved those rumors to be true. I guess they haven't because they wouldn't be rumors. They'd be facts. Anyway, but now for the experience and evidence of Ghost Adventures. While Zach was interviewing the owners, Nick was manning the camera and he said that he saw a male figure peek out from behind a corner of this hallway that they were standing in. Well, they were like, okay, it might be the audio guy. He was like, he could be down there trying to establish a baseline, blah, 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 blah. But they debunked that because... Again, he would be the only one down there, but he was on the other side and there was no way to access that location where the peeper was at. They got some EVPs and they said various things like, get off that thing, looking for my child, get me out of here, get us hazard. They also heard some yelling, footsteps, and scratching. They took a picture of the staircase and they said that it looked kind of like a child and it could have been disfigured sitting on the stairs. And that just reminded me that all the kids look at that staircase and stuff. And that's where they say that the redheaded girl is and all that. So that could be some proof there. Okay, so remember that EVP that said, get us hazard? Yeah. Well, that might have something to do with someone, like a person, known as Washington's first female serial killer, Linda Burfield Hazard. Oh. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Right. So she was licensed to practice medicine, but she didn't have a medical degree. 
So there was some kind of loophole where the practitioners of alternative medicine could practice medicine and like they were grandfathered in when like the change came about. And I'm all for things being grandfathered in, you know, like when I was grandfathered in on Verizon's bill and it was really cheap, but now it's not anyway. But you know what I mean? Like I'm all for that, but like not if you did not have a medical license and stuff. Well, could she, what year was this? I mean, I know you don't necessarily know, but like, could she even have a medical license as a female? Very true. So, I, I don't know. And normally, I'd be all for it. But, you know, she she murdered people. Ah. So, hmm. We hate her. <laughs> yes. I really want you to do a story on her. I don't know how long it would be because I did not look into more details because I was like, oh, okay. Like, this might be a good one. And so I know you don't like me to know this stuff. So anyway, I, I try not to like know too much. Yeah. Okay. So what I do know is that she believed that she could cure a person by starving the disease. Oh, geez. So she would have them fast for various lengths, days, weeks, months. And wait, does she have a house? Yes. I mean, this is a house, but. Yeah, it's a, like a sanatorium. Yeah. Okay. I know her. Okay, so do her. But, <laughs> um, so she only allotted like a small amount of tomato and asparagus juice. And sometimes a little bitty teaspoon of orange juice. She would also give the patients up to three enemas a day. Meanwhile, like you're giving them nothing. How, did, how are they pooping? Right? They're fucking organs. That's what they're like. Right? I don't even understand. Don't even understand. Well, anyway, it's believed that many of her victims, I believe 40 people died under her care, were wheeled through the doors of the Butterworth building. And again, there's some rumors that ER was secretly working with Linda, helping her cover up some of her crimes by like cremating the ones that were like skin and bone. Yeah. And then having like a healthier corpse or like cremating them and like nobody, no crime kind of thing. Um, but also they said like to back those rumors up that there were no epidemics going on at that point. And so, you know, I, he was having this boom in business and then it's like normal amount of death, which is still high, but it wasn't like, you know, bodies in the street. So when, like, victims from her sanatorium, like, when dead people from her sanatorium started coming through, he was like, just send them to me, no questions asked. Mm -hmm. So he was getting, like, some money, like, some kickbacks and stuff. Now, again, no one can prove this, so who knows? But I just thought it was interesting that that EVP came up and, like, hazard, like, get us hazard, you know? I don't know. I was just like... Okay, now this one, because at, at first, if you didn't know that, because it's like such a minute detail, because eh, like, I mean, dead people came through his door all the time. So it's kind of like two plus two equals four that her victims were through his door at one point. But like, I don't know. I, it just was kind of like, oh, shit. Okay, that EVP had me going. But That is all I have for the Butterworth building. Like I said, a lot of people say it's good vibes. There's, there is a presence there, but it's not overpowering. You know, you're not just like sad all the time or, you know, anything like that. It's just 
Someone else is with us. Yeah. Could you imagine a pub being haunted, though? I mean, I know we've done, like, Bob Mackey's and stuff, but just, like, you're going there, you're drunk, and you're like, damn, I didn't think I was that drunk, but I felt like someone touched me and no one's there. Not like you might you might have uh, actually felt someone touch you. Right. And you had your, uh, I almost said your senses down. <laughs> You know, you're whatever down. All right. Mine wasn't that sad. I mean, it was about death, but other than the rumors, it really wasn't that sad. So I'm sure yours is just going to be real fucking sad. Mine is not sad in the way you think it's going to be sad. Okay. Okay. So before we get into my story, uh, since we are ever the professional, (laughs) we got to break the fourth wall and say that we had to stop recording after we finished Donna's story last night because... uh, I was hacking up along. And so... Um, she sounded like she was barking because it was so like deep in her chest. Yeah. So cute to today. And I just got back from the doctor and I had bronchitis. So yay. Uh, but that's why I sound like this. So <laughs> I feel like I sound a little bit different than I probably did the first half. So I was like, I guess we got we need to say something because I sound terrible. Yeah. I mean, I've sounded worse recording, but... Yeah. Well, you progressively got worse. You're like... And then I got my, my sexy Yeah, voice. and so it was like... <laughs> Did somebody say steak? Yeah, you're about to do your story, so let's not. Because she was literally coughing all the time. Like, I was having to take breaks to say my stuff. And it's like, there's no way you're going to be able to talk and string a sentence together. So, here we are. I'm a little peppier now. I feel like, yeah. like towards the end of your story, I was like, not saying yeah. a word, you know? Yeah. Also, let me just say that if you are with someone who is in the medical field, you are going to be like, amen, pull over, clap your hands, because they are the worst patients. Oh, my God. I was like, you need to go to the doctor. Like, do you work half a day? Go to the doctor. And she's like, <laughs> today, she was like, okay, I'm going to go to the doctor, uh, but I feel really dumb for going to the doctor and they're just going to tell me that it's just a cough mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who was right well let me just say though that okay because I, I feel like y'all know this but just gonna say it anyway um you know how i do like the weekly infusions with for my immune deficiency so i have common variable immune deficiency it's called like cvid so i feel like i like all the doctors when i go they're like okay okay you gotta cough you gotta cough and i'm like however i have common variable immune deficiency so that's why I'm here because trying to get a job and they're like, yeah, okay, here's you all the drugs. You know, it's yeah. like, they're like, cool, cool, cool. Wait. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. So it's like, I feel like I'm finally being heard being like, I know it's just a cough. However, it could go south quick. Yeah. And so that's, that's why I went anyway. But I feel like I finally am heard when I go to the doctor. Cause it's like, especially stuff that I go. Cause, cause I do, if I do go, I go super early and, it's like, well, you're barely sick. And it's like, yes, because I'm trying to not die. Mm-hmm. Okay, enough with the sickness. On to the story. Um, this story idea came from Erica G in the Facebook group on the Facebook suggestion post. We're talking about Ruby McCollum. She was born August 31st, 1909. You're going to hate me, but I know this. <laughs> God damn it, Donna. B- blame Erica. Erica, damn it, Erica. She made me watch the... Uh, Don't say it, because I know what you're going to say. Because is it going to give it away? A Crime to Remember? Oh, no. This was on A Crime to Remember? Uh-huh. Okay. Well... So, I'm not going to do that uh, Crime to Remember when I get there. Right. <clears throat> okay. So, Ruby was born, like I said, 1909, in Florida. She grew up with 
all the siblings. And she actually went to a school for gifted black children in Ocala, which I feel like was a pretty big deal that she, well, one, that there was a private school for people of color, but that she was able to afford it and all of that in 1909. That's amazing. Yeah. That says a lot about the like gumption of her family in the suppression of 1909. Well, anyway, Ruby really succeeded in mathematics and like accounting. And eventually this kind of came in handy because she married a guy named Sam McCollum. Now, she and Sam lived a couple of places. Eventually, like they moved to New York, but eventually they moved back to Florida. And Sam and his brother had a gambling business. Did you know this? Yes. Of course you did. Do you know what the gambling was? Yes. What? No. <laughs> it was called Belita. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It seems kind of like, I don't really know, but um, one of the podcasts I listened to said it was like, um, like like a lottery, but with numbers. Yes, but it, so it can almost sound like like they are drawn. They almost sound like bingo. bingo. Yeah. So Ruby and Sam are pretty powerful people in their town because this gambling ring was pretty big, and they had a good bit of money, especially for a person of color. In this story, takes place in 1952. So let's just say in the 40s and 50s. So, did you specify that this was, like, in the brother's bar? Or, I I thought it was cousin, but brother? Uh, Well, he had a brother, Buck, that they were in it together. But, I honestly, I didn't know it was in his bar. Like, that's where, well, again, on a crown to remember, they were in a bar doing it. And, like, in the back room was something else. But, like, everyone in the bar was, like, participating in that. Gotcha. Well, and here's the thing, too, is that it was an illegal gambling ring. So yeah. lots of money changed hands with people in power to protect not only Ruby and Sam and Buck, but the ring itself and the, the people who were participating in it. So politicians, police officers, all of that were involved in gambling and turning a blind eye. So Ruby had four kids. And after the fourth kid, she was having a lot of trouble with postpartum depression. And she had been seeing a doctor by the name of Dr. C. Leroy Adams. And Dr. Adams was giving her injections to help with like her depression and all of that. So one day, Ruby's arm was hurting and she decided to go see Dr. Adams. When she gets there, she pulls out a bill from her purse and is like, hey, I've got this, like, I think it was like $118 bill, $136. It was like some weird number like that, but had this hundred something dollar bill. You know, it came to the house. Like, what is it? They talked about it. She's like, okay, cool. Dr. Adams gives her an injection in her arm. And you think that's the end of the visit, right? Well, at first I was like, they made $136 bills. Okay. But when you said it, so I was like, like she pulled out a bill. Yeah. Like, okay. No, no, no. But yeah. I get it. I get it. Like a it just bill took, for service. Yeah. Yeah. Like a medical bill. Yes. So, but what happened after she was given her injection is Dr. Adams told Ruby, you can't leave just yet because Dr. Adams had been raping Ruby for over four years. Oh my gosh. Basically, what he would do is he would call her house and he would be like, hey, can I come over? And if somebody was there to prevent him from coming over, she would be like, I, I didn't call you like that was a mistake. And if nobody was there, she could be like, she would say, okay, come over. And if her husband answered, he would hang up. 
Now, it's kind of, there's a lot of unknowns about this story. Like, we're not really sure if Sam actually knew about the sexual assault that was going on between Dr. Adams and Ruby. But Ruby's youngest daughter was Leroy Adams' child. Yeah. But see, here's the thing. Dr. C. Leroy Adams, he was kind of the only doctor in town. And everybody saw him. He was this, he was like 6'4", 270 pounds. He was like a big guy, but also like big as an important. And he was like running for state senate. And they were basically grooming him to become governor. And he was this really important white man. And she was a black woman in Florida in 1952. So some people say that this went on for four years and, hey, he called her and told her that he was coming and she would say yes or no. So they call it consensual, but it was not consensual by any means. Ruby could not say no. Right. In fact, she had tried before. After one of the first times it had happened, after the first time it happened, he basically had come over for a house call and raped her and then said, I'll be back in the morning And when he came back, she wasn't there. And he was like, don't try to play. You know what this is. You're going to be here. You better not try this again. Yeah. So she had no way of saying no. If she said no, her whole family would be destroyed. She could be killed. Her husband could be killed. Her Her kids could be killed. Right. We're talking about 1952 when people were still being lynched. The KKK was still very fucking prominent. And Ruby had no choice but to do exactly what Dr. Adams wanted her to do. But on this day, and and think about this too. Ruby was dealing with postpartum depression after giving birth to her rapist's child. And she was still having to see her rapist to help her with her postpartum depression. Yeah, that's so fucked up. Now, some say that he was giving her injections of morphine, but we don't really know what he was giving her. And we don't really know what he gave her that day when she went because her arm was hurting. And this is also kind of putting pieces together from a lot of different sources Mm -hmm. of we don't really know exactly what happened this day when she went to see him. But after she got her injection and she tries to leave, he says, sorry, you're not leaving like undress and she's trying to tell him no and he's starting to kind of rough her up a little bit but this time ruby had brought a gun with her and she pulls the gun out of her purse and she ends up shooting dr adams he kind of staggers out of the door after he's been shot and falls dead and ruby gets in her car and leaves and just to show how much money Ruby had. Ruby and her husband were some of the wealthiest people in town. Mm -hmm. It was 1952, and she drove a 1951 two-tone blue Chrysler. Like, she, they were wealthy. Yeah, which I think a lot of people resented because they were people of color who were richer than they were, blah, blah, blah. Right. The other thing, too, is that that was kind of weird to me, but I mean, what else is she going to do with them, is that she had two of her kids in the car, when she went into the doctor's office, which, of course, that was not unheard of to leave your kids in the car back then. Yeah. But, um, you know, the question kind of is, was it premeditated? She brought her gun with her. Did she finally have enough? Because she could not tell him no. 
did she have enough and take the gun with her to finally end things? Or was it she had the gun with her just for protection? We don't know. Yeah, I think she just had it for protection. Like, again, my personal opinion, because she did leave her kids in the car. Because why would she leave her kids vulnerable if she was going to kill him? Kill a white man. Like, I, I mean, again, she could be, I mean... By killing Dr. Adams, she's setting up a, a potential domino effect mm-hmm. where her, her entire family could be lynched. Yeah. Beaten, lynched. I mean, brutally murdered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really think it was for protection and maybe not only against him. Like I said, a lot of people resented them. You know, so the people who weren't getting rich off of them were kind of resenting them because why do they have money you know right so she probably was scared anyway so after ruby got in her car with her kids and drove home one of the podcasts i listened to said that she made her youngest baby a bottle and waited for police to arrive golly and of course they came and as soon as the police got there they took her straight to prison as soon as ruby was arrested Sam basically came home, grabbed the kids, took the kids to the grandparents' house, and then basically right after that died of a heart attack. Now, some people don't buy that. They think that because he had some heart trouble and they think that he took all of his heart medicine and died by suicide because he knew what was coming for him because he was going to be punished for Ruby's actions. Yeah, gosh. Did they say anything about that on Crime to Remember? I don't think so. For some reason, I'm remembering the club, you know, where they did everything out of. And maybe this was just showing like that they had people in their pocket because I can't remember. I was thinking that they raided the club after that. But I think it was showing like that someone would call in and be like, you're about to be raided you know, whoever was profiting from it. And so they would like go away. And so I was thinking that was coming next. But I think that was, you know, just like B-roll kind of thing. Like, yeah, whatever. Well, and the thing is, is that, yes, there, there were a lot of people that were involved in this gambling ring, including Dr. Adams. Like people said that there would be large deliveries of cash in exam rooms. Like, so this was a very intricate system for this like gambling ring and i don't know if they alluded to this on crime to remember but i'm feeling like because he was involved in it i think sam knew what was happening but the doctor kind of held that over his head too like i could turn you in right now if you don't like kind of let me do whatever i want with your wife and so they were both like in a between a rock and a hard place just everything. So the newspapers never said anything about Ruby's rape or the fact that one of her children was Dr. Adams' biological child and even that she had gotten pregnant by him with another kid. So some of the rumors with that is that she was pregnant by him with another kid, but that he had actually, in some of those injections, given her medicine to terminate the pregnancy. Oh. So I don't know that for sure. That's all like hearsay. There's lots of books and all about this. I listened to this one podcast called Old Blood. It's historical true crimes. And they do a really good job of like breaking down a lot of details that are found in books. And also I highly recommend it just for some extra details. Basically in that podcast, she talked about how some of the laws were and that because it was illegal 
to have a biracial child. Basically, these white men were able to do whatever they wanted to to women of color, and they were never able to get any type of um, assistance like child support or anything like that because then they could be punished for having a biracial child. What the fuck? There was nothing but roadblocks to keep Ruby from getting any type of help or out of this situation. She truly had no other way out. But the newspapers, I don't even know that I finished that train of thought, but none of the newspapers said anything about, you know, the rapes, the child. All it said was that Ruby killed him over her bill because she really did bring up her bill that day and was like, cool, cool. It was all handled. And then that's when stuff went south. But so people really did hear them discussing the bill, but that ain't why she fucking killed him. So what ended up happening, this went to trial, and the judge put a gag order on Ruby and her attorney. They weren't able to say anything about the rapes from Dr. Adams. They weren't able to say that her child was his. They weren't able to say anything to present any mitigating circumstances to this murder. And when she went to trial, of course, everything at this point is still segregated. Schools, You know, even Dr. Adams' office had a waiting room for people of color and a waiting room for people who are white. Yeah. It had, you know, water fountains. Literally every single thing is still segregated at this point in the States. And that includes the courts. So even in the courthouse, like picture fried green tomatoes, all the white people at the on the ground level and all the people of color are in the balcony watching this trial and every member in the jury was a white man of course but guess what so the the judge that was over the um trial his name was judge hal w adams oh okay now he wasn't related to dr adams but they were pretty close close enough that Judge Adams was a pallbearer in Dr. Adams' funeral. Oh my gosh, he should have had to recuse himself. Yeah, he should have, but he didn't have to mm-hmm. in America at this point. Yeah. When it's a woman of color on trial for the murder of a white man. Uh-huh. And there's a lot more information too like about there were like I can't remember the number, but tons of objections on the part of the defense like for just stupid stuff and only eight of them were sustained or over whatever agreed upon basically (laughs) sustained every other one they were like nah you're fine nah you're fine so ruby was able to testify that dr adams had forced her to have sex but her defense attorney could not present like the whole thing like he was not allowed and every time he would try to do anything about the physical abuse the prosecutor would object and the judge would be like, yeah, you can't talk about that. Yeah, you can't talk about that. Oh, yeah, by the by, you can't talk about that. So it was like everything that was her story that, again, was mitigating circumstances that led up to her murdering him was completely objected and and the judge was like, you can't talk about that. Ruby's attorney was so fed up with it. Like, he was a good guy and he was so fed up with it. He turned to the judge and he said, may God forgive you, Judge Adams, for robbing a human being of life in such a fashion. Wow. Now, and on that podcast I listened to, they said that that didn't make it into the transcripts 
But, um, it, well, a couple of things I saw said that it didn't um, make it in the transcripts. But there was a reporter there. And, like, of course, all the witnesses heard it. But, yeah. like, he, you know, he legit said that. But it just shows you, too, how rigged the system is that it didn't even make it into the actual transcript of the trial. Yeah. So it goes to the jury. Again, all the bias. All the bias. And she was convicted of first-degree murder and was sentenced to death by the electric chair. Now, what happened, though, is that they actually appealed her case, and her conviction was and her conviction was overturned on a technicality. So, her judge, Judge Adams, what a piece of shit. Like, he's so cocky. This is what happened. The jury all went to the crime scene to do some inspection. And he was like, oh, y'all got that? Cool, cool. I'm going I'm to peace out. And they were like... Uh, the judge wasn't there the whole time. So there's no telling what could have been told to the jury or what they may have seen or been pointed out because the judge wasn't there to oversee it. Because he wasn't there the whole time, her conviction was overturned. But this time, look, the two years in prison had really taken a toll on Ruby. She was so terrified that she was going to be killed. She thought people were trying to poison her. She would only eat food that her son had brought her and that he tasted first because she was so scared that the guards were poisoning her. She was scared that even um, in her cell that they were like pouring gas in there like, like to poison her. She wouldn't even sleep on her mattress sometimes because she was scared. So some of it was a lot of paranoia. But on the other hand... Um, for good reason. For good fucking reason. Before this went back to trial, they tried for an insanity plea. Ruby was declared mentally incompetent to stand trial. So from that, she was committed to Florida State Hospital for Mental Patients in Chattahoochee. Ruby actually was probably worse off in that mental facility. This was a mental facility that ended up having a lot of negative press and stuff because of how they treated their patients. Oh, God. A lot of um, inappropriate electric shock, keeping them heavily medicated, um, abuse to the patients. But in 1974, an attorney by the name of Frank Cannon, without getting legal fees or anything, filed paperwork so that she would be released under the Baker Act, which allowed people who weren't a danger to themselves or anybody else to be released to their families. One of the articles I read said that after she left that mental facility, that she went to a um, rest home in Silver Springs, Florida, and it was funded by a trust that was set up for her by the guy that like wrote the book about her, um, William Bradford Huey. I'm not sure if that's how you say his last name. It's H-U-I-E. Anyway, but he had paid her $40,000 for the rights to her story so that he could write a book and have it like turned into a movie, which he did. Ruby McCollum, woman in the Suwannee jail. But anyway, so that was what paid for her time in that rest home. And she did get to see her kids again. But her son, Sam Jr., was convicted on 10 counts of gambling in 1975 because he like continued on in his dad's footsteps. Um, so apparently he had been living on the McCollum homestead and the FBI took $250,000 from them, but they later had to give a bunch of it back to him after like the IRS basically took their taxes and penalties. They had to just like give the rest back to him. That's wild. Um, her kids, Sonia and Kay, Kay died in a car accident in 1978. So just four years after she got out of the mental institution. Sonia died of a heart attack in 1979. Golly. 
But after Ruby got out of the mental institution, when people would interview her and try to find out more about her story and did Sam know and, you know, all these pieces of the puzzle, she said she didn't remember. And some psychiatrists say that basically she suppressed the memories because they're so bad. But a lot of people think that that state hospital that had treated her with like electric shock and stuff really destroyed her brain and she literally could not remember because of the electric shock that can affect your memory yeah but she ended up passing away um on may 23rd of 1992 of a stroke at the age of 82 i just feel like it's so heartbreaking that you know she had no way out and then she was arrested and then she spent all that time away from her family she finally got out and then just within a few short years half her kids are gone yeah she just lived such an incredibly hard life yeah but before we break either one of these stories down even further into the nitty-gritty we got to talk about care of because they are back and they care of you oh i like it i like it we've said it once twice three times i don't know how many because they're amazing But Care-of is a subscription service. They ship high-quality, personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. It's so personalized to you. You, All you got to do, you take a short but in-depth quiz that asks about your lifestyle, your goals, all the things about your health so that they can make personalized recommendations that really takes the guesswork of walking to your local drugstore and going, there are 8 billion vitamins. What do I need? Yeah, what do I need? Because everything sounds like you need it, but you don't. And we don't all have money just to throw around, right? Vitamins aren't cheap when you're going to buy in all those bottles. Exactly. But what's so great about Care Of is that after you take the quiz and your vitamin regimen is developed for you, they ship it to you and you get these little daily individual packets where you can just tear them open, take them, and you're done. You're done, son. Also, fall is just around the corner. And look, we know first of the year, everyone's going to be like, I'm on a diet. But why not start with a slow change, adding vitamins, getting all your nutrients right now. So when you do make that jump start in the new year, you've already got a jump start on it. Because staying consistent with a vitamin routine helps you stay on track and really see results. And Care-of even has an app that's free to give you daily reminders to take your vitamins and even reward you for doing so with exclusive discounts and merch just by tracking your progress. You know what? Can they also do that for you with all your other medicines? You can remember to open up the packet, but she doesn't remember to take some of her other medicines. You know what? Don't come for me. (laughs) I would always take my care of stuff at night. It's perfect. You just, you're done. (laughs) And when you get your shipment, it comes with a, a little booklet that has exactly what you're taking and why so that you know, like, this is what's in my little packet. Seriously, we take these vitamins daily and they really have helped us. We want them to help you too. And again, like she said, take care of yourself with care of. So what you need to do, go to takecareof.com and enter code CREEP50, so CREEP50, for 50% off your first care of order. You know y'all want to do this. It's subscription-based, so it will just keep coming to your door every month so you don't have to get out and go to the drugstore to try to figure this out. Let's keep it simple. So go to TakeCareOf.com 
That's T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-O-F dot com and enter code CREEP50. For, and again, 50% off your first care of order. 50% off? Uh, it's for me. If you forget, you know, CREEP50 for the 50% off, go there. Takecareof.com. Well, I really liked your story, though. Um, I really enjoyed the crime to remember so if y'all want, you know, a more like dramatized version of it, uh, definitely go watch it. This one article I read called Ruby's Case, um, the O.J. Simpson murder trial 43 years later. What? I was like, no, I don't think so. No, no. Like, take whether you believe O.J. was guilty or not. Ruby was raped by this man yeah. for four years. Forced to have one of his children. Right. Like, it ain't the same. Mm-mm. Well, and again, like you said, it was illegal for people of color to do most things back then. Right. And so it was a different time, too. Like, she had her hands tied just because of the color of her skin. Right. And even, like, with the Jim Crow laws and all of that, things were set up to keep people of color from voting. And if they couldn't vote, then they couldn't be on juries. So it was just this constant, like, infinity loop of things to keep people of color down. Yeah. And black women were viewed as property, well, women, period. Mm -hmm. But for sure, women of color were viewed as property for white men. And they were allowed to do whatever they wanted to, whenever, to whomever, no matter if they were married or not, whether they wanted it or not. Right. Then there were laws in place to protect the men and punish the women for what the man did to them. Right. And I'd say. No. And then even, like, even through it all, people were like, because there was a point in the trial where um, they literally, like, held the kid up to be like, look at this kid. Yeah. Like, spitting image of Adam, Dr. Adams. Like, look at it. And the judge was, like, told the jury, like, don't look, don't look. (laughs) But so not only was she battling a judge who was the fucking pallbearer for her attacker, the the all-white male jury, but then to have had a gag order in place where she wasn't able to tell her story. She got on that stand and she did the best she could within the parameters that she was given, but she was given a gag order to stop her from telling anyone what happened to her. And even if she did, a lot of people were like, well, I don't believe that, you know, he would have sex with her, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, he didn't have sex with her. He fucking raped her. Right. So. Well, you know, and I hate that excuse. Like, if an attractive person or a rich person raped someone else, it's like, he could have whoever he wanted. Yeah. And, like, you say that, it doesn't matter. He doesn't, doesn't even matter if they're attracted to that person or not. It's the power dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's them getting off on raping this person. Like, you're so less than me. It. Most of the time, it's not about looks. Yeah, being attracted to that person. Completely agree. And poor Ruby, she faced it outside. And then she faced it when she went into that mental health facility. Because then, same thing, the people who were supposed to be taking care of her weren't. They were abusing the patients. They were doing inappropriate electroshock therapy. They were doing, like, keeping them chemically restrained with medications. I think that's where it ended with the crime to remember. Like, she was just heavily sedated. I don't think they said anything about... Like, the facility being bad. Yeah. I think that it was just, like, 
she wasn't living anymore because she was like not medically induced in a coma, but like just couldn't function. function. Yeah. Yeah. And then when it finally came to it, when she could tell her story, she couldn't remember it. Oh God. Like they robbed her of everything. Literally everything. Oh my God. It's infuriating. Well, y'all tell us what you think about both of these stories. Y'all know we love to hear your opinions. We also want to hear your opinions about us. Because seriously, you leaving a review helps us so much. And it just helps us know like, oh, okay, this person listens to us. Awesome. And you never know. We might start using those reviews on like social media. You never know. So go ahead. Leave us a review. Please, please, please. Well, she stole my line. Because you know I always say, don't forget to like, subscribe, review all the things. But also remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.